0: And up next, we've got Project Financial Crime, the role of data sharing and collaboration. Um, And as you can see, we've got three speakers joining us today. We've got Andrew Churchill, who's the ambassador with the Payments Association. We've got uh, Jonathan Williams, who is payment specialist at the Payment System Regulator. Um, And we have Chris Oakley, uh, who is a stand-in joining us instead of Nick Fleetwood today. I say stand-in. You know I stand. <laughs> uh, head of fraud um, from Form Three. Thanks very much. Well, thank you so much. Uh, hopefully, everyone can hear me. Can you know, hear an echo at least. So, um, so a quick side chat, a three-way side chat today about a paper, with, white paper, which Payments Association are doing in conjunction with our members, sponsored by Form Three, looking into uh, financial crime data sharing and all of the new developments which we're exploring in this sort of space. Um, We had hoped originally that we might be able to actually have the port ready by today, but as many of you will have noticed, we had a rather large piece of financial services legislation come in from the Data Protection and Digital Information Bill two weeks ago, which, as it built on open banking, was, well, of course, uh, somewhat of a redraft of an awful lot of the findings, as it now gives us legal clearance for the the very data sharing which we would like to see. So I'd like to ask uh, my my two panelists, Chris Oakley and Jonathan Williams, to quickly introduce themselves. And then we'll just kick off with the questions as to how we see see the market moving.
1: Great, thank you. So um, good afternoon, I'm Chris Oakley. Uh, I'm the head of fraud at uh, Form 3. Uh, we're delighted to be sponsoring alongside the Payment Association the white paper uh, around data sharing. Uh, Form Three is an account-to-account payment platform that operates uh, within the UK, EU, and a number of other markets as well. Uh, it's great to be here.
2: And I'm Jonathan Williams. I'm a technical payment specialist at the Payment Systems Regulator. And if you joined us at, uh, pay, at uh, Financial Crime 360 last November, you'll probably have seen me on stage with Jane G from Project Financial Crime talking about a report from 2019, which I was one of the authors on looking at facing up to financial crime and whether we'd actually moved forward. so uh, lots of interesting things to discuss, and data sharing is one of those key things, and especially collaboration. right,
0: so we'll uh, kick off the uh, obviously we've been looking around this area for some time and during the course I, I'm more, along with Jane G, I'm one of the uh, authors of the forthcoming paper. In the course of the consultation and interviews we've carried out, many people remarked on how long we've been talking about this, and how we've always been saying that this was something we wanted to do, and and indeed, uh, Jonathan pointed out and reminded me that we'd actually been on the Payment Systems Regulators' Payment Strategy Forum, wearing different hats, back in December 2016, when we had some remarkably similar recommendations coming through. So, Chris, what? From those uh, recommendations of that uh, KYC, the sharing information for real-time interdiction, why has it taken us so long to get to where we are? Why,
1: why, why is now the right time for us to really be moving on this? Yeah, it's a great point. And I think one of the challenges that we've faced is that for so long, everyone's been looking at everyone else to make the first move. And that's resulted in us kind of kicking the tire down the road on a number of different occasions. Um, and the kind of the common objection that kind of kept on coming up again and again is I'm not allowed as a financial institution to be able to share data. And therefore you're in this catch-22 situation where um, data sharing isn't seen as a viable option um, because it's legislative under GDPR that you're not allowed to do it. And therefore there's a very circular situation that exists and no one's really made the first move. And I guess that brings us to the, well, why now kind of question. So
2: it's interesting to compare, I guess, the commercial world of payment service providers with the challenges that um, financial criminals have. Um, obviously, financial criminals have to comply with GDPR too. So that's a, that's a big problem. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they're all appropriately registered. I'm, I'm sure they have their appropriate um, privacy policies written out. But that's the thing, I guess. Criminals are very good at collaborating. There was a, a, a research project done by the, I think it was the University of Sussex about, uh, must be about 12 years ago. And they were looking at the efficiency of the market for trading card details between different criminals. So people who would get the data and people who would then use it. And they were saying this stuff, it would be really good to be a regulator in that particular market because the market was extremely effective. You could put your feet up and drink coffee and so on. Uh, and that's not unfortunately the uh, the job I end up doing. I end up actually having to, have to work for a living. But the problem is that that lots of criminals are really good at sharing data and sharing techniques and practices. And they're all very lazy, so they like to use the same sort of techniques, but maybe put a little tweak on how they approach it. So for the other side, that's what they're doing. The challenge is, how do we keep up with them? How do we actually get to a stage where we can collaborate, can share data, can allow data to be pooled in a much more effective way?
0: As you both said, obviously, the the fear of um, not being allowed to share data, as under GDPR. Uh, One of the the beauties of the forthcoming bill, as as everyone knows, post-Brexit, we we currently have GDPR as a Data Protection Act 18 as amended. We're about to have Data Protection and Digital Information 23 as amended. And one of the the explicit clauses in there is a a fairly novel concept of a presumed legitimate interest in sharing for certain categories. One's on national security, one's on t- financial crime. So it's almost there, it's in black and white. In our surveys and the polls, of the research, the largest blocker to sharing information was concerned about data protection controls. And all of a sudden, as if by magic, that's gone up in the puff of smoke for three, three little words in a bill. Uh, how much confidence does that give you to able to actually finally move things forward Richard.
1: I think it's critical because the the, 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 the the reservation was always there about I can't share this because I'm worried about what's going to come back on, on me as an institution and breaching my obligations and my responsibilities so now it, with it being in in, in, the, in the bill and subsequently becoming legislation and law all of a sudden that rationale for institutions not to share data for the common good of financial crime and economic crime prevention has gone. So no longer can you hide behind, I don't want to do it because. Because it's now permitted for the purposes that are outlined. So actually, to me, there's, there's, there's three aspects of this which are important. The first bit is the legislation. We've covered how legislation is now changing to be able to accept that. The second bit is the willingness and the acceptance of institutions to embrace the fact that data sharing is going to make a massive difference. And that's the now stage where we're getting to, which is, well, now we know that we can do it, how do we do it?
2: So a lot of interesting things. I mean, and We use the term data sharing fairly, fairly loosely. I think some of the challenges we have are, are that, in many cases, we're, we're transacting with data anyway. So when you send a payment to another financial institution, another payment service provider, you are transferring personal data as part of that. You have to send sort code and account number if it's a, a BACS or a faster payment. You already have to share that information already. It's just there's a block on sharing the, the really useful other fraud information you'd like to be able to share with that. And so that's some of the the, the impediments we need to try and work work out how we get over. Um, One of the things that the payment systems regulator has been doing in terms of data is trying to ensure that the the integrity of data and confirmation of pay information, so you know who you're paying, but also ensuring that there is a a model to, to build up on, to enable sharing of key transaction information. And those key things are gonna really help drive down the levels of fraud, at least we hope so, but there's no single silver bullet which is going to fix it. It's all contributions from each individual party across the ecosystem and ensuring we get everyone incentivized to do the right thing.
0: And indeed, um, back in October, uh, the FCA PSR uh, authorized push payment text print, team after team, came up with the confirmation of payee or confirmation of mule, knowing the bad actor, identifying that those weak links was was identified as a key area. how, how is the PSR and the FCA taken take that bit forward? Uh, John, do you want to go first on, on that bit? And, uh... so,
2: so you brought up the, the tech sprint. So we, I mean, the tech sprint we ran with the Financial Conduct Authority last September, and um, it was designed to go and try and bring a number of different parties together, payment service providers, ac- academics, consultants, technology providers, to try and work out what you might be able to do around data sharing, amongst other things. And we did actually manage to bring together data sets from a number of payment service providers appropriately pseudonymized, but bring them together in one place that so you could start to spot patterns of transactions across different payment service providers. So that was a real step forward, and I, and I know it's been done elsewhere, but it was good to be able to do it from a, a regulatory standpoint to understand the challenges around setting up the data protection, which helps us inform our, our policy making.
1: Yeah, and I think if you, for those of you that were here this morning and you listened to the, 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 the keynote speech from Lloyd's about what they'd seen about confirmation of payee, just as an example, Lloyds, Lloyd's were quoting as saying, you know, payments where it hadn't gone through confirmation of payee, from their data, were 100 times more risky than those that had gone through. And that's something from my experience in the industry that we've seen time and time again in terms of the value of confirmation of payee. And there is this real drive collectively as an industry to roll out confirmation of payee to those PSPs who have currently not embraced it. But confirmation of payee is one bit of the multi-layered defense that we need to have. So if we think of the value that we're able to gather from confirmation of payee being in there, Think of the value that we can get from all the other data points that are included within data sharing to be part of that. Aggregate those together, and all of a sudden we're fighting back against the criminals, who probably, by the way, are sitting in a room very much like this, perhaps with slightly dimmer lights, but looking at how they're going to bypass all the controls that we're looking to put in place. We have to work together on it, and COP is just one part of it. There's so much more.
2: So we were, in the PSR, we were really keen to go and ensure that COP was actually draw, driven out beyond the core set of uh, payment service providers that cover the majority of transactions out to the next set of tranches out. And that's one of the things which, as you know, is going through. So once we get to a, a tipping point where pretty much everyone is available on confirmation of pay and everyone can transaction can be checked that we hope exactly the same thing it will be, a, be a, a very useful tool. But you're absolutely right, other transaction information could be very, very helpful. And when you think about payments, you're, you think about who you're paying, who who's, is coming from the amount, but you also think about the underlying data, the purpose of that payment. And actually understanding that purpose could be really, very helpful. And not very many parties in that payment chain in, from the original payer to the recipient understand the purpose of that payment. So how, how do we manage to exchange that information somehow end to end? That's the question.
1: Uh, sorry, just, just one thing, Andrew. I think, I think what's really important with this as well is, is the criticality of standardization. So one of the challenges today is if you look at often the intent to pay something, it might be contained within the payment reference message, somewhere stuck between character 72 and 79, which as we all know is the hotspot for information that we all go looking for. But it isn't, is it? So how do we standardize as an industry this intelligence and this information? So we use APIs considerably today within the payments world, within open banking. So consistently providing that information, but sharing it consistently means it can be absorbed consistently and then utilized, analyzed to make effective decisions.
2: So, just picking up on that, one of the challenges is, with the systems we currently got at the moment, backs and faster payments, we have comparatively restricted amount of data exchange. Hopefully with the new payments architecture based ISO 20022, we'll have a much more hopefully fluid means of exchanging data between sender and receiver. Mm. Do you think that's going to a step forward in terms of the amount of data which is
1: going to be able to be shared in a sort of standard way? I don't think it will, I think it has to. (laughs) Yeah and that's that's quite a a bold statement, but the only way that we're going to win this battle or make a dent in this battle is by doing data sharing. So historically people didn't want to do it because of legislation, that's gone. Financial institutions need to work out what the big problems are they're facing and get on board and be proactive about how they manage it. And the final bit, which is critical, is how does public-private business work together mm-hmm. to come up with a technological set of solutions that enable this problem to be solved?
2: So I think you're saying there's a, there's a sort of common purpose, a common problem that all of the payment service providers sitting here yep. are facing. Yep. We've got a common purpose, we've got a common problem, we're trying to develop common standards and common services to go and develop those, and common systems to go and process the payments.
1: Yep. Does that, is that everything we need, or is there something else we've missed? I think it's the start. Marion King made a really crucial point this morning, which is, wouldn't it be great if when Faster Payments was being rolled out in 2008, or slightly before that, you could wind that clock back and go, what are the unseen consequences that are going to happen as a result of the decisions that we're making today to provide a real-time payment system within the UK? So, what we as an industry need and have to do, but together, is work out what are the data points, how do we share those, and how do we ensure that we're not building something that is short-sighted and subsequently going to not solve our problem in 18, 24, 36 months' time.
0: I remember sitting in with Colin Whitaker, which, well, they're ageing it, and me, in Apex, having hmm, asked the payments, I think we're going to have a problem with tracking the money flows thereafter. Yes, Colin, we are. <laughs> Go back to the uh, both the sprints, indeed before Christmas, October APP and the o- Open Finance Policy Sprint. The data we need to share isn't necessarily all going to be held by financial institutions. Some of it will be social media, some of it will be telcos. It, it, it could be from a whole raft of sources. How are we going to get that cross-sector, the, the regulator-to-regulator approved exchanges, which, which may be crucial?
2: I guess, for me, that the challenge is if you, have, if you are looking for data related to a transaction, somehow you've got to pin the information, I don't know, from a mobile phone conversation to the conversation over here related to the transaction in the payment system. But the only way to link those through is really through the individual identity of the person who's transacting. So how do you manage to, to be able to follow that, those leads and be able to see that this person's managed to log on to... Whatever, has a, co- a phone conversation, has logged onto a website, has been redirected to a possibly phishing site, and therefore there's a subsequent uh, online transaction. Being able to trace all those is really difficult, unless you actually know who's, tra- who's being able to do it. But there's a balance between exposing that information and the anonymity which we can re- reasonably expect on the internet, so
1: how do we square that circle? Thanks for the hospital pass. Um, So, so I suppose if if it was 1970 or 1980, we'd go and build an access database and we'd probably link everything and have it there. But we know that the payments is real time. So, we can't be waiting on information. We can't be waiting on intelligence. So, the answer is that we need to make sure that the legislation is right, it's getting there. So, that enables the sharing. We need to enable data quality to be high. In the, in the institutions. So actually then we can link together those common points and those commonality. But I think where there's gonna be a real seismic shift is around something called pets. And for those of you who aren't aware of pets, it's not to do with your dogs and cats at home. It's privacy-enhancing technologies. So privacy-enhancing technologies is something, and there'll be details of this actually in the white paper when, when it comes out in terms of what that looks like. And this is about how can you share that information that historically has deemed to be sensitive or of concern, but actually is critical to enable institutions to make more informed decisions. So the approaches that are coming down the line around pets um, or the technologies, I can't get used to calling them pets, the technologies within that um, are going to enable institutions to absorb this data in a lot more intelligent way without the compromise because real time is great but it's also a risk.
0: And indeed, the findings of those uh, reports are coming out from um, an Anglo-US uh, pet challenge. Uh, if I've seen the early results from phase two on the actual efficacy, uh, there are a very, very wide range of um, accuracy levels. It has to be said. But it also brings. Uh, that this is an international. Yep. This is an Anglo-US pet challenge. Regulation in the UK is regulation in the UK. What, what, what hopes and opportunities do we
1: see from potentially moving this internationally? I'm going to start with that one, then I'm going to pass the hospital pass back. So, so obviously, you know, in the UK, we are building out a set of standards, a set of requirements around what we're going to do. And that's being heavily driven by our colleagues in the PSR who are championing this and are looking to make this move possible. But this is a global issue. So there's significant challenges in the US, in Europe, in markets all around the world. So actually what we need to do as an industry is be recognising, appreciating these challenges, but then we need to make sure that our regulatory bodies are communicating and talking to each other. So as Andrew says, this this pet challenge is is a UK-US joint approach. So there's already the collaboration that exists there, but how are we joining up all of this ecosystems that exist today to make sure that key data is shared in a standard and secure way. And again, coming back to the point of, we can't be short-sighted. We can't solve for today. Because if we've solved for today, tomorrow is the problem.
2: So I take your point. I think one of the challenges is uh, for out there for every country is that um, they don't want to, to boil the ocean and develop global standards, which is going to take 20 or 30 years, which covers absolutely everything as it stands at the moment. And by the time they're delivered, they're far too late. The Fraud, AML, money laundering has moved on. So that's, that's a challenge. So each country then takes its own approach and develops its own standards, its own approach to how it tackles this particular problem, which is great. It reminds me of the adage, um, I love standards, there are just so many of them to choose from. Um, it would be lovely if there were one set of standards we could all adhere to, all agree were great and everything was fine. But, but inevitably any, every country can't even agree on the format of a, an account code. So um, trying to agree what fraud's going to be is, is really quite complicated. Uh, and spe- especially identity as well. We do need to get there. And so how we get there is the, is the challenge. We need probably work from organisations like FATF on the AML side, but we need fraud to be part of that bigger challenge as well.
1: Uh, but I think, I think Andrew, there's a, there's a crucial opportunity for the UK market to drive this. So within the UK, we are absolutely on the front foot in terms of regulatory, financial institution responsibility, legislative Technolog- technological solutions that can solve these problems. We in the UK are building a model that enables us to address this. How do we as the UK champion that approach to the rest of the world? It's a- Build once, roll out globally. Because actually, then you get the consistent- consistency in the standardisation that is so critical to have.
2: You're absolutely right. And we've learned a lot of the lessons which other countries really want to, to, to learn properly. Um, there was a, uh, an analyst conference, I think it was about uh, eight months ago, and they were highlighting the, the good work that the UK had done and saying, well, in terms of, they were talking about authorized push payment fraud, but the UK is quite way ahead of the rest of the world because it's had the experience of dealing with faster payments over... 15 years now, uh, of how that the fraudsters take advantage of that, how they con people out of the sophisticated natures of the, the different types of scams. And that knowledge does give us a real advantage in try- actually understanding not what happens today, but what fraudsters also are likely to try and do tomorrow, how they evolve what their um, modus operandi are, so that we can actually go and try and prevent them. And, We're talking about data sharing, we're talking about collaboration. Those are the two key tools that we've got. Being able to help our global colleagues understand exactly what happened in the UK, why it happened, why we do what we do. Why, for example, the payment system regulator is proposing a reimbursement scheme uh, for individuals to make sure that they aren't out of pocket, ensuring that that all the parties in the transaction are are part of that. That's part of the the key, Regulatory drive to try and ensure that the UK is on the front foot when trying to fight, fight this type of crime. And I think there are lots of lessons for other countries as well. So hopefully, we are still in the lead. Hopefully, we can drive global standards, drive global practice.
0: Craig, we're down to the last 40
1: seconds. So, uh, a final thought from yourself. Um, uh, One, please scan the QR code to receive an advanced copy of the Data Change Event Financial Crime white paper. Um, I've read the draft. It is a fascinating insight into the challenges of why we can't solve the problems today and what we need to do. Second, we need to work together. Yeah, this will only work if everyone, regardless of your role within the industry, is working together to fight this. This is no longer the time to talk. It's the time to take action and decisive action and work together to prevent the challenges that we're facing.
0: We should have ended on 007 there, to be perfectly honest, but uh, never mind. I did try. Uh, uh, so if you could thank my panellists, please, in a round of applause, and uh, we will now move on to the next session.
1: To access more podcasts, videos, and articles, go to thepaymentsassociation.org.